0: Well, good evening. evening. We're going to receive the tithes and offerings, so if the ushers would get ready. So this afternoon, my husband and I decided to go grab a burger for lunch, and we went to one of these great burger restaurants in town, and I never eat the whole thing. So I took half the burger, and I I pushed it off to the side, because I intended to give it to my grandson, and it's sitting there, and... I, I ate my burger, and I was snacking on the fries, and then I kept snacking on the fries, and I kept snacking on the fries, and then there were no fries left. So then the lady, the waitress comes by, and she says, <clears throat> which I could take out box for that. And I said, sure. Can I get an order of fries to go with it? Because I thought, I'm going to give my grandson this burger I set aside for him. He needs to have French fries, right? So I sent, I took a picture of it when it came, and I sent it to my daughter, and I said, this is how you know Micah's spoiled. I ordered fresh fries to go with the other half of the burger I saved for him. And then she texted back, "And what about his mom?" Now, isn't it true like giving is such an expression of love? That when we love somebody, we want to give. And I think God initiated that. Because when he gave his son, his one and only son, he initiated to us giving as an expression of his love towards us. And so when we get to have these times in our service where we get to bring our tithes and we get to bring our offerings, what we're doing is it's an expression of our love to our Father who first initiated that by giving to us. So we get to say to God, here it is. I'm giving you the best. I've prepared it for you because I love you. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. You are a wonderful gift towards us. And because of the expression of love that your Father gave to us, we want to give back. So would you receive the tithes and the offerings that we bring? And would you use it, Lord, so that your love may be given, your hope may be given, and the people around us would know there is a God who loves them dearly. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Marcia. Thank you. Boy, it is a good evening. It was hot today, right? For some reason, we're here in church and we get to learn from God. We get to worship Him together. Here's what I love about this building, just the structure itself. It represents us gathering together under one roof to represent and to serve and worship our one God. And I think sometimes we take for granted that we have a building, we have a place that we can come to in an air-conditioned building. So. Thank you for your hearts in giving because a part of what you do in giving to the Lord comes back to us so that we can worship God in a setting like this. So can we just say thank you to God who provides a place like this? Lord, we do. We thank you, Lord, that we have a place like this. So grateful. And part of it is in this series that we're in, we're talking about potential. When this place was first thought of, it was a pasture land. So the potential of this land wasn't really finalized all we saw was grass and 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 mud and and dirt but someone needed to have a vision and once we caught vision of what was possible god could take care of what was impossible and whenever god does something that is impossible after a while we can forget that what is now possible used to be impossible and the moment we forget about that is the moment we take for granted the possibilities that god can do and the reason why I want us to remember what was impossible is now possible is because you and I are always faced with impossible situations. Sometimes we face these impossible situations and we give up and we say, I, I, don't, I can't go any further. So the potential to be realized doesn't go any further because we look at what is not possible rather than what is possible. So tonight what we're going to look at is possible versus impossible. Impossible. And how do we reach that potential of possibilities? So if you do have your church app, you can take that out because all the notes are going to be on there. Uh, If not, you can follow along in your Bible. We're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 19. And here on our Wednesday night, we call this equip and disciple. Those two words means that God is going to equip us as well as disciple us. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ, a learner of Jesus Christ. So on Sunday, our heart is to reach out to people that don't know Jesus that's the heart behind our Sunday morning services. It's, it's partnering together with you in your attempts to reach your family and friends. Wednesday nights are more for us as believers, where we'll get into the Word in a different way, and it's in a way that challenges us more. Uh, it, it also uh, pulls more spiritual maturity out of us, and it increases our learning capacity here on a Wednesday night, because it's, it's just different from Sunday morning. So if you come on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, you know what I'm talking about. There's a major difference uh, because that's the vision. We want to equip us in the middle of the week because I don't know about you, but if I don't, if I don't meet with the believers often, I can start to kind of go off track a little bit, especially with accountability. I want to be accountable to uh, the body of Christ as well as to uh, my family. So when we gather together, it helps to do that. And for some people, they say this, I just need something in the middle of the week because I go crazy by the time Monday hits. Like from Sunday to Monday, I don't know what happens, so I, I need my, my Wednesday nights. But that's, that's why we're here on Wednesday nights. And in this series called Potential, that we're learning that God gives every single person potential. And he puts that inside of us, and without him, we cannot reach our full potential. We don't just arrive at potential. We, we have to grow into it. We grow towards it. So God helps us in that, and he knows that for us to achieve our potential on our own is too much for us to carry because of how grand the potential of God is for our lives. We can can live our life without God and, and do some things here in this world, but it only goes so far. When you're with God, you may not be the most famous person in the world, but if you're doing things according to the will of God, It's not about how famous you are on this earth. It's how much of an impact you're making for the kingdom for eternity. Earthly things are temporal. Kingdom things are eternal. I'd rather make an impact eternally than temporarily. So when God says you have potential, he says you're going to be faced with this potential of possible and impossible. You're going to battle with the two. And you're going to see the struggle between the two. You're going to see some roadblocks. You're going to see some doors that are closed. You're going to hear some opposition. You're going to feel some opposition. And you're going to be challenged. When it comes to these two words, in order for us to believe in our God-given potential, we must first see the possibilities. Otherwise, everything that comes our way that might not be good, we're going to think of as God's not good. Or he's doing something because I did something. Or God is punishing me because I did something. But with our own strength, it's impossible to ov- overcome all of those challenges, life challenges, everyday challenges. But with God, all things are possible, especially with reaching our full potential because we all want to do good. I think at the heart of every person, they want to do good, but for some reason, our humanity, our sinful nature wants to take that away from us. That's why we see a lot of bad happening in the world because that goodness starts to de- starts to decay in our lives without god in fact i i I believe everybody wants to do well not everybody does good or does well but i think at the heart of every person we want to do good but once we cross that line of thinking now life life is no good it's impossible already i might as well just throw in the towel that's when we go a little skew and we do things that are not good but at the heart of every person i believe we want to do good we just don't know how to sometimes I remember when Heidi and I, uh, we were in high school, and you know when it's your, your girlfriend's birthday, you want to buy them something good? So I would buy her clothes. And at that, t- at that time, it was the 1980s. So a lot of things were weird clothing. If you look at the 80s pictures, like I don't know who made up those designs, but or fashion in the 80s, it just was that generation. So I would buy Heidi clothes. It would be like jumpsuits, uh, weird-looking, uh, I don't know what it's called, um, it, looked, it looks like uh, like a checkerboard uh, plaid jumpsuit kind of skort thing. I don't, I don't know what it's called. So I would buy these things, and I would present it to her, and she would open it up, and she would go, Oh, this is, what is this? And, and I, out of the goodness of my heart, I was buying her this. So every time I would buy her something and buy her something, after a while, you know, you get married, and then, and then the honesty comes out. And then she says, You know, just don't, don't buy me anything. Just, just give me the money, and then, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go and buy it. But then I did learn this, that Heidi, it's so, it's, and I think husbands can, can relate to this, it's so hard to find what our wives want as, when it comes to clothing, because we buy them something, they say, what do you, you think I can fit that? Or you buy something else, like, what are you saying? I'm fat. So it's either way, it's, where do you go with it? So, I, I, hey yeah, amen. So I, I was thinking, Okay, I, what, I, what I need to do then is I need to study when Heidi goes shopping. So when she would go shopping, shopping I would be on my, I'd taking notes. I'm like, what is she looking at? Oh, that kind of clothing. The first thing she does is she heads toward the clearance rack. That's, <laughs> that's good. That's good for me. So I would take notes. And then I remember it was either her birthday or, or Christmas or something, and I needed to. I wanted to buy her something. And I'm, this was my test. I'm thinking, okay, come on, Sheldon. After all these years of studying her and and watching and stalking her, I, I can get it. Well, that's my wife, so that's not really stalking. But I was like taking notes. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna try this. So I went to Cinnamon Girl because that's where she likes uh, she likes certain things from Cinnamon Girl. And I'm in Cinnamon Girl <laughs> shopping. And The lady's like, do you need help? I'm like, no, I got this. I I I, I studied. <laughs> so I bought I bought three three sweaters and a light color she likes you know these certain colors so I bought these uh, these sweaters and then I wrapped it up well they wrapped it up but I took credit and then I gave it to her for Christmas and she opened the first one up and she goes this is this is perfect she tried it on it fit which meant the other ones were gonna fit and so I said this after she was like oh my goodness this is so good I said what is do do you really like it she goes yes I really like it and I said. So I did good. She goes, you did good. You did so good. It's like, good boy, good boy, good boy. But I I felt good about it. And and I think we we do. We want to do good. We We want to do well, especially as husbands and wives. When we do something good for the family, it feels good that we did something good. There's someone in the Bible that came to Jesus because he wanted to do good. We know him as the rich young ruler. This rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks Jesus an important question. But I love how Jesus answers this man, and it's found in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. And he starts off like this, that this rich young man comes up, and it says, Just just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So just remember the question now. Jesus replies, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. When Jesus said there is only one that is good, he was letting the man know that no matter what you do, it's not going to be good enough to get into eternal life. So he already squashed the question about doing good deeds to enter into eternal life or get into heaven. So he said there is only one who is is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And then the man asked, well, which ones? And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you and I look at that list, we probably have failed already. But not this man. He says, well, all these things I have kept. And then he says, well, what do I still lack? Because if you're saying this gives me eternal life, then what do I still lack? And Jesus wasn't saying that because you do these things, you're going to be satisfied. Jesus was leading him into the question he should have asked from the very beginning. So he says, what do I lack? And Jesus answered, well, if you want to be perfect, which is what the man was asking, I want to to be good. What good thing must I do? He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. seems simple. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Well, who who can who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now, Jesus gives them the challenging part. If that wasn't already challenging, this, this is the challenging part. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, here's the big challenge, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So Jesus gives a picture of how difficult it is If you want to go that route, if you want to do good deeds to get into heaven or have eternal life, then you got to do everything perfect, which is impossible. That's not going to work out. But with man, it's impossible. With God, it is possible. How do we reach perfection? Not through our works. It's through the only one who is perfect, which is what Jesus was alluding to when he spoke to this man. He said there's only one who is good, which is God. When he says this, Jesus also calls himself the good shepherd. In essence, what Jesus was saying to this man was, he who is talking with you is the only perfect one. So if you want to do it your way, you're going to fail because the end result is you're trying to reach perfection that you will never reach because there is only one. But if you do it my way, then I am already perfect. All you need to do is come follow me. But it's hard for you to do that while dragging along everything else that you so dearly love more than me. So now this man has to make a decision. He makes his decision, and he walks away from Jesus. Why? Because it's just too difficult. This word good is used in three different ways in the New Testament or throughout the Bible. But most of the, most of the ways that it's used in, when it's being translated, when it's translated, is, is the significance or excellence of a person or thing Frequent or frequently in the moral sense. So in other words, when they're saying that God is good, His, who he is is good. The morality of God is good. And everything that God is, is good. Without God, there is no good. That's why we need God in order for good to be good. The other way good is used is, well, the first word is a Greek word, agathos. That's where there's the significance or excellence of a person or a thing which has that moral sense. So agathos is that first one. The other one is kalos, K-A-L-O-S, which is described as a good work. So doing good works, which is a formula which draws attention to the Father as the source of Jesus' work. So Jesus did good works because there was a source of good, which was God the Father. And then the other word that is derived from or the word good comes from is krestos, is which is the manifestation of God's goodness. Christos which sounds like Christ. It's kind of the same wording. And Jesus is the manifestation of God's goodness. We see God's goodness in Jesus Christ. That's why he said, come follow me, because if you want to know what is good, you're going to have to follow that which is good, as in the noun, the person, Jesus Christ, because I am good. When Jesus says, uh, here's what what you need to understand. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to go into heaven. So when he says this, he's given an illustration that, you know how difficult it is to put a camel through the eye of a needle. Now, there's two debates on this. One is the camel going through the opening of a gate. You know how they had that uh, uh, the the stone wall or the, the wall around the city, and then they had that opening. That was like the needle, so the eye of the needle. And they, they say that, well, camels needed to be, you had to take off all of the gear and all that the camel was carrying, the, the heavy load that the camel was carrying, so that the camel could fit through the eye of that needle or that, that opening. So the, the, the illustration was, unless we're able to release all of life's riches or the things that we think is going to get us to heaven, unless we're willing to give all that up, it's going to be hard for us to get into the kingdom of heaven. So that's one side. The other side is an actual eye of a needle when you sow, which is where these words come from, that Jesus was talking about the eye of a needle where you're putting thread through that needle. Imagine putting a camel through that. So he's saying, you know how difficult it is? Yet at the same time, it's not, it's not actually, or it could also mean not just a camel going through it, but Uh, camel hair was used for clothing so it's also a word that they used for tying a knot or a rope that camel hair was used to make certain things rope clothing in fact john the baptist remember he had camel he he wore camel hair so i think we think of it as like just take skin off camel and put it on but i'm sure there was some type of you know uh, fashion to it that at least it was not just some weird looking man but It was a part of the apparel, and they would use camel hair as rope. So what Jesus was saying is, you know how difficult it is for that to go through the eye of a needle? So regardless of whether it's this one, this one, or this one, whatever the illustration was, what Jesus was saying is, if you're hanging on to earthly things thinking that your good works are going to get you into heaven, it's not. And that wasn't the principle of what Jesus was trying to say. It it wasn't even close to what Jesus was trying to intend. It's not about rich people not getting into heaven, although there is a teaching moment that Jesus was actually giving. But he he, he wasn't saying that although there is this teaching moment about money and finances, that it can only get you so far in this life and that you can't take it with you. It was so much more than that that Jesus was trying to teach because this man came with a question that left him with an impossible solution for himself. For this man, he said, the decision that he made was I'm not going to do that because that's impossible. I'm not going to sell everything, give everything up. You know how hard I worked for this. I have so much. I can't just give that up. So he made the decision based upon possible and impossible. And he chose what was impossible, forgetting that what Jesus is able to do is the possible. So he left sad because there is so much that he had to give up. He starts with the question, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And the response of Jesus is so much more purposeful and principled. Jesus said, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one that is good. So Jesus puts that, of course, the good deeds question to rest in getting to heaven, and then he addresses the real issue. And here comes the principle of Jesus when he speaks this to the man. Here's the principle that he wanted him to learn, and here's the principle he wants us to learn. Before we can ever do the possible, we must first do what is impossible. What Jesus was saying to this man is, You're going to have to first do what is impossible. In order for the possible to happen. You're not going to get the possible without doing the impossible. That's what he's saying to the man. Which seems like a trick question. Yeah, of course. That's the whole point of me asking you, Jesus, how do I do this? Because it is impossible to do this. But in order for me to get the possible, I have to do the impossible. But in order to do the impossible, I have to think it is possible. Ah, But if I just look at it as impossible, how do I do I do what's possible because I look at it as impossible? So you're saying that whatever is impossible, I have to think it's possible first? Yes. That'll make sense. How do I do the impossible? The reason why I call it impossible is because I can't do it. So how can I get to the possible if what I think is impossible is before possible? I give up. So the man was frustrated, sad, and he left. So it leaves us with the question. What are the possibilities you want to end up with that are impossible right now? What are some possibilities that don't think about the impossible right now? That she's not going to let me. He's not going to let me. We don't have the finances for it. Uh, we have children nowadays. Uh, well, in your life, I have children now. I can't do that. What are the impossible things that that is that you think is impossible? That is stopping you from the possibilities. But think of this first. Think of the end result. What is the possibilities? What are some possibilities that you, that God has put in your heart, that you say, this is where I believe God is taking me? Or as a married couple, this is where we believe God is taking us. If you're going to get married, here are some possibilities. I believe this is where God is taking us. What are those possibilities? And if you've never spoke about this in your family or your relationships, it's a good time to talk about it. Because if you don't think about possibilities, what do we do day to day? We're just living and existing. But if we have possibilities that you dream about certain things and and who you're becoming in God and what God is doing in your family and in your life, now you're going to be faced not just with, wow, the possibilities, but you're also going to be faced with the impossibilities. Because in order to reach what is possible, you're going to first have to do what is impossible. That's the only way we get to the possibilities is to burst through what is impossible. See, in, 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 in impossible thinkers and possible thinkers, you have both end thinkers, which is people who think possibility, and then you think beginning thinkers, those who think impossible. Or it's it's harder, it's a struggle. So you have end thinkers, and then beginning thinkers, beginning thinkers. So you have these two, end thinkers and beginning thinkers. So you need to find out where you are and where your spouse is at or whoever you're with, or if you're just here with you or if you're single. You have to find out how you operate, if you're an end thinker or a beginning thinker. So I'm going to give you a little test tonight, and you, you can kind of put this to your head I'm going to give you end thinkers and beginning thinkers. Okay, stick with me before you walk on and say, I don't don't like what you're saying. So just hang with me for a moment. So these are end thinkers and beginning thinkers. End thinkers think of the possibilities. Beginning thinkers think of how difficult it is. End thinkers see the pictures, or they see the picture. Beginning thinkers see the process Beginning thinkers are not bothered by how much work is needed to get there. Beginning thinkers are bothered by how much work is needed to get there. End thinkers will look for the mistakes and make corrections. Beginning thinkers don't like to see the mistakes and are okay with how things have been. End thinkers think future. Beginning thinkers think past. End thinkers embrace change quickly. Beginning thinkers need to process change. But here's the best thing about it. You actually need both. Because I know for some of you, you're like, see, you, I'm an end thinker. Now, I'm an end thinker. And see, you, you should be an end thinker. But you need both. Because the end thinker would say, let's get on the boat. Where are we going? Let's just go. Come on, let's go. Let's get on this boat. Let's go. All of us. Yes, all of us. Let's go. woo We're all going. And then the beginning thinker says, hey, what are we going to eat? Where are we going? How long are have we gone? Anybody get sunblocked? You're like, I right, we just go. And then we all burn up and die because we have starvation. No water. But the beginning thinker would think that. So you need both. You need both of them connected together. I remember when I was teaching Heidi how to do email." In that situation, I am an end thinker. So I said, oh, Heidi, email, easy. All you have to do is uh, just open up the, the email, open up the mail, uh, sign in, put in your password, your, you know, your name and all of that, username, password, and then just click new. And then after that, you're going to just type it in, put whoever's email is in there, put the subject, and if it's going to be you know to that person, CC or BCC, uh, put that in, and then you're going to type it in, and you're just going to hit send, and then, then it goes. And she goes, okay, so... Where's my email? And I said, well, just open it up, open up your email. She goes, no, where is that? I said, well, uh, what, what email do you have? And she goes, I have Yahoo. I said, okay, so open up Yahoo. She goes, where is it? I said, it's in the, on the, uh, what browser do you use? She goes, what is the browser? And in my head, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> what? Okay. I said, okay, op- open up the internet, and then let's go to yahoo.com. So I'm walking her through, and I'm saying, okay, click this. No, no, cl- no click the no open no th- slow down open okay open that okay yeah okay now you see where it says two ah uh, no right there two where right there t o it's Heidi it's right there click what did you do I don't know you just told me to press that I didn't tell you to press that what did you hit I don't know where, where'd the screen go I don't know I'm like where, did you press something I didn't tell you to press anything. You told me to press 2. No, not no. I told you to press the 2, T-O, but what did you hear? I don't know what I hit. Ten minutes later, we're fighting. It's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate this computer. So in the end, I'm trying to teach her something that I already know. So in that situation, she's trying to process everything, and I'm so impatient. If you're dealing with someone who thinks they know it all, they're very impatient with someone who's just trying to learn, and you're going to fight. So in that situation, I'm an end thinker. She's a beginning thinker. When Heidi says, hey, let's do a house project, I, I'm the beginning thinker. <laughs> I'm like, hey, wait, what do you want to do? She goes, well, let's, let's just take down this fence because I want to redo this fence. And then I want to I p- uh, put up, uh, you know, some, some, uh, some light fixtures on the side. And then I want uh, put to up, put up another uh, vine with um, uh, lily coys. So I want the lily to be on our fence line. I'm like, okay, uh, so we've got to take down this whole thing first. Yeah, yeah, take it down, just throw it away, and then put up the other one. <laughs> like, by when? when? When do you want this up? Tonight? Tonight? So, you, you, what you're saying is, take down this whole fence. Like, just grab them and roll them up. Put them in my truck. And throw it away. She goes, well, what is, it? is it hard? I'm like, I'm thinking of the email. <laughs> like, was the email hard? <laughs> so, in that situation... I'm the one saying, I don't want to do this, I got to take my little friends. So in that situation, she's the end thinker, I'm the beginning thinker. So you do need both, and you got you to gotta know in what situation you're the end thinker and the beginning thinker. Because if you're dealing with possibilities and impossibilities, normally when you don't want to face the impossibilities, which are things like, if I want my marriage to be healthy, I need to spend time with my spouse. That's an end thinker. A beginning thinker is like, oh, what we got to do? date night, date night, uh, how much that going to cost, <laughs> that's a beginning thinker, <laughs> so, but the end thinker is saying, but this is good for our marriage, that's what it is, uh, uh, someone going to school, uh, who says, I want to get a degree, I want to, uh, you know, I- increase my education, that's the end result, the other person is saying, well, I got to go to school, every day, every day, I got to go to college, every day, by choice, I didn't even want to go to school, forced." So I'm not going to choose to go to college. So you you got to know in what situation you're an end thinker and beginning thinker. So when it comes to possibilities, if you're a beginning thinker, which is okay, it's still fine, you're going to have to work through what is impossible. Because in situations where you can see the possibilities, you're going to have to face what is impossible. You got to know at what point you are at, even when you're facing impossibilities. Let's just say you want to get out of debt. The beginning thinker or the end thinker says, yay, we can get out of debt, we can buy another car or save money for a car, we can buy a home someday. You have that end thinking, we can raise a family, whatever it is, the beginning thinker would say, you know how hard that is? We have to save this much money, yeah, but we can do it. That's the end thinker. So you bring the two together, the beginning thinker would say, that means we need to sacrifice. So no more buying clothes and shoes and starbucks we got to cancel netflix no 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 ne- never mind then so <laughs> but but you need both because you you need both beginning and end thinkers to get to the place where it's possible and what jesus was saying to this rich young ruler is you got you gotta know where you're at are you in the beginning or the end of your thinking process and with this man he was the end thinker at first and then jesus challenged his thinking which made him become a beginning thinker and he forgot that he first started as an end thinker When you think of what is possible you're going to be here And there's that hope that's what we call it. We call it hope it's possible But then when we see the impossible, which is what the rich young man saw that I got to give up all of this. That's impossible. I can't do that Then he forgot what was possible Just never give up when you become a beginning thinker when you were first the end thinker. This is normally when everyone throws in the towel, not here. When we come to know the Lord, we become end thinkers. When we we come to church, we become end thinkers. We get inspired by God. He speaks to us, and then we face real life, and then we become beginning thinkers again, and we think we cannot do this. Or if we do become a beginning thinker, don't forget about the end. Don't forget about the possibilities, the dream that God put in your heart, the, the potential that he gave to you lest we just give up being a beginning thinker once again. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, and the book of Revelation, we find two scriptures, actually there are more, probably seven scriptures throughout the Bible that gives us who is the best at being the beginning thinker and the end thinker. In Isaiah, chapter 44, verse 6, it says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. In other words, God is saying, I am the beginning, and I am the end. In order for you to reach possibilities, you're going to have to do some things that has to do with me. Not necessarily your possibilities and the impossibilities, because that's normally where we stop. We stop at what is possible, and then what is hard, what is difficult. And then we stop there. And then God says, hang on, there's a reason why you get stuck at beginning and end. He says in Revelation 1, verse 8, that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In other words, God is saying this. Before you can do the impossible with God, you're going to have to figure out which one you are, an end thinker or beginning thinker. And then you're going to become both in some situations, but God says this. This is the way you're going to have to think, but this is not who you become. You don't become the end and the beginning. Because that's where we mix things up. We think we're the ones who are going to have to figure out the beginning and the end. But God says, you're not the beginning, nor are you the end. I am the beginning and the end. So we're going to look at tonight are three basic things that can help us in how we can become these people that are not just beginning and end thinkers, but how we can deal with impossible versus possible. When Jesus gave the challenge to this man in, in verse 28, when he said, truly I tell you, At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. So he's giving them the possibilities. This is what it's going to look like. You're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he gives, that's the end result. Here's the beginning, he says. But this is what's going to have to happen. In order for you to do the possible, you're going to have to do the impossible first. Or to receive the the possible, you're going to have to do the impossible. So he says, here it is. Here's the challenge. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake. Okay, we can't forget that. For my sake. Because some people say, oh, leave who? I can leave them. I I leave everybody. But for my sake is what he's saying. Can you you do these things for my sake? Will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Now here's the Here's where it's so almost puzzling that God is saying, here's the principle. He's not saying to leave your family. He's giving you a principle. He's saying it is probably the most difficult thing to do is what he just said. That you own a home, you just leave it. You have family, you just leave them. He's saying the most difficult thing to do, if you can do that and learn that principle, then now you're on your way. But it has to be for my sake. Because when it's for my sake, what it means is you're doing this for my cause, not because how you feel. He's saying if you can do these things for my sake, which means you've got to be so connected with the Lord that you hear his voice clearly. Because these are difficult things to do. He's saying for you to just get up and leave your house, brother, sister, or father, or mother, wife or children or fields, like your property, your family, your spouse. These are not easy things to do. You, like you got to think this thing through. Now, what he's not talking about is divorce. He's not saying that, well, if you're mad at them and things go bad, leave them, you're now part of this possible. That now, now you can inherit the kingdom of God and now the first will be last and the last will be first. He's saying, no, these are difficult things. So he's not literally saying, leave them so that you can inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying, this is so difficult to reach the Possibility because there are some impossibilities that you're going to have to face. But the reward of the possibility is so much grander than the sacrifice of being last. In other words, he's saying you're going to have to humble yourself in every situation before you can even hit the possible, before you can even reach that. You have the impossible here. It's going to take a lot of humility just to get past that. And then the possible is on my part. You take. You're going to have to be a part of this impossible. I'm going to take care of what's possible, but you're going to have to do this part. And everyone who has done the impossible for my sake will be able to receive the possible. And we think, okay, so I get that, but how do I do what is impossible for me? In, to, impossible for me to do in order to receive the possible that only God is able to do. So let's just take a look at life. Uh, ministry, marriage, uh, your calling that you know who God is calling you to be. Just look at those different areas. When it comes to life, to do what is impossible, working. It's hard to find good work. What about getting a degree? It's tough to go to school and find scholarships or even to pay for schooling and then to find a good job after that. So there are some things that are different today than it was 50 years ago. But sometimes we use the same system or the process. So when it comes to life, there are certain impossible things that we're facing that God is saying, I can still do the possible even in your impossible situations. When it comes to marriage, maybe, maybe you want your marriage to become stronger where there's gonna be some impossible things that you're gonna have to do, things that you've never done before to get to the place where you've never been. You're gonna have to do that. You're gonna have to make some sacrifices on this side. And that's where you sit down and say, okay, where is our marriage right now? Well, we fight a lot. Yeah, because of you. No, because of you. Ah! And then now you got to sit down again. How come we fought last night? Because of you, because of you. And you've got to fight through all of that and say, okay, hang on. Where do we want to be in our marriage? What does our marriage look like? For Heidi and I, we said this is what we want it to be. We want it to be when we, when we come home from wherever we come from, it could be work, it could be out and about or traveling, wherever it is. When we come home, home is our safe haven. That's where we come to so that we can live the dream that God gave to us. Home is not the place where we're supposed to dread coming home to. And, oh, no, I hope she's not home. Oh, I hope he doesn't come early. Like, that's not marriage. That's nightmare. So we have to sit down and say, okay, let's dream about what it would look like. So we had to sit down and dream about what our home would look like. Even, Even down to the design, the colors of the wall, what the feel should be. And sometimes you have to do that. You have to sit down and think of what is possible so that you can take care of the impossible. When it comes to ministry, same thing. If you're, if you're someone who God is calling to ministry and serving him, then you got to think about the possibilities. Who is God making me to be? How do I do this? Sit down with someone and say, I just feel God calling me to this. He, he put this on my heart. He wants me to serve in this ministry or do these things or I want to be a part of what he's doing in the church, whatever it is. And then you, you process it with God. Because you're going to have to know what is the, that end result or the possibilities so you can handle the impossibilities. So here, here are the three things that will help, and we're going to go through this really quickly. The first one is to do everything with God. Everything with God. Now you might think, how am I going to do everything with God? Because some things I do is not good. That's the whole point. If you're doing everything with God, you really think through what you're doing. You make different decisions when you do everything with God. You're on your computer. Oh, I'm doing this with God. Okay, I better be good boy. Better be good girl. God, what? I'm, I'm with you. So I'm on Facebook. They say this. I want to respond, but I'm with you, God. So what do I do? Oh, well, you don't need to be a part of that. So I don't need to say anything? Nope. Okay. But they're wrong. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Are you with me? Yes, I'm with you. Okay, then stay with me. But it's so tempting. Oh, then, what did they say? Oh, no, now i got to say something. God is saying, no, are you with me or are you not? But you do everything with God. Because if I'm not doing everything with God, then I am doing some things without Him. And God is not a 9-to-5 God, which I am thankful for. So I do certain things like... Prayer and devotions, if you want to do something tangible and something that we can physically do, prayer and devotions are key to doing everything with God because you're hearing his voice on a daily basis. I use a church, uh, not a church app, it's a, it's a Bible app called Version. Y-O-U version, V-E-R-S-I-O-N. And it's, it's a simple Bible application that you can use our bookmarker. It's a life application uh, bookmark, and it's the same bookmark that we use here. So, it's a life journal. It's called the Life Journal if you look in reading plans. If you need help, many of us do U uh, version. Any of you do U version, just raise your hand real quick. Okay, look at it. a ton of us do that. So, if you saw somebody raise their hand, just say, How do I get that on my phone? Ask them, they will help you with that. Uh, but you're doing devotions, you're reading the Word of God. There are different plans in there that you can uh, assign, like five day plans, one week plans. But it helps you stay connected with God and prayer time. Or what we're doing tonight attend church consistently. And here's why you want to attend church consistently and and do everything with God is because God will chip away everything that is not of him little by little. It's not an overnight process. It's a lifelong journey with him. He just keeps chipping away everything that is not of him. And when you do everything with God, you're keeping an open communication between you and God. The second thing is to be who God is making you to be. Be, that's why we're called human beings. Be who God is making you to be. And don't be ashamed of it. Don't think that, well, what are my friends going to say? It doesn't matter what your friends are going to say. Why? Because you're becoming better than you were yesterday. It's not going to matter what your friends say or what other people say or what your family says. Because maybe in the beginning, they're going to start wondering, okay, what, wait, what is going on? Why, why aren't you doing that anymore? Why you quit doing that? Why you're different? You speak different. You act differently. What do you want from me? Do you need money? What do you need? It's like, no, I just, I'm just trying to do things better. I'm trying to become who God is making me to be. Some people will laugh at you. Some people tease you. Some people say things about you. It's okay. Why? Because I'm a living testimony, and many of you are. Now we're here toward the end result of who God is making us to be. And you know what? All those people that were saying negative things or laughing or teasing us, they're the ones that are asking for help. And it's not a bad thing. It's not to say, see, why did you tease me in the beginning? It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with we all want to be an example for Jesus so that those who are far from him can find Jesus. And if it's through us that they say, you know what? Man, I, I, I could see that God is doing something in your life. I don't know what to do. Here's what's happening in mine. Well, can I pray for you? Can I come to church with me? Something. They're going to ask because they saw that you were consistent and that God was making you into the person that you are today. And if we're not becoming who God is making us to be, then we're becoming who we're not supposed to be. If we're not becoming who God is making us to be, then we're becoming people we're not supposed to be. That's not... Apart from God... We can do nothing, the Bible says in John chapter 5. We, we can't do anything, John 15. That he is the vine, we are the branches. And apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing. So he says, you're going to need to stay connected to me. And when we're connected to him, then all things are possible. And we want to become who he's making us to be, not who we think we're supposed to be. He's the creator, and he's creating us and making us better. So I want to I be consistent. I want to be accountable I want to serve him. And here's why. A part of serving, let's just say you're serving here at the church. A part of serving at the church is that you will be challenged in what is needed to become who God is making you to be. Outside of me serving here at the church, it's easy for me to stay the same. Very easy. I don't need to change. Why? Because no one I'm, I'm not accountable to anyone. But if I'm close by someone, in close proximity, and then I have disagreements, and then I have my attitude, or I start getting mad at people, and I start blaming people, and I start complaining, that's supposed to happen in the church. Did you know that? It's supposed to happen. The reason why it's supposed to happen in the church is because that's where God is going to change us. It's called the body of Christ. We're supposed to go through that together, but we're supposed to change at the same time. So if all we do is complain for years and decades then we're actually an infection in the body of Christ. But we're supposed to be influencers, not infection. So if I'm in the body of Christ and I'm serving and I'm being challenged, then God is making me into who He wants me to be. So therefore, my prideful attitude, I need to change that. Why? Because God is making me into the person He sees me to be. I cannot stay the same when I'm connected to God and His people. I can try, but it's going to be very challenging Let others speak into your life. That's probably the biggest challenge, and that's where serving comes in, that you're around people who will speak into your life. And that is a big challenge, but that's what Jesus said. If if you're not able to leave father, mother, sister, brother, the the difficult things, you're not going to be able to reach the possibilities. You're going to have to do what is impossible. And then the last thing is to do everything for God. You do things for God. And it has to be consistent with his word. Because if I'm not doing things for God, then the automatic default is I'm doing things for me. That's the automatic default. That's where patience and timing comes in. And the reason why he wants us to be patient and why he he wants us to rely on his timing is because if we're doing everything for God, then he's always looking at our heart. I've had people come up to me, and this, this is years ago, and they say, you know, God is calling me to be a pastor I said, that's great. Come, let's serve together. Let's do things together. And we would try to set things up and, and you know, wipe down tables or, or serve in a ministry and, and do sweeping and mopping. And they're thinking, well, I, this is not what I want to do. I said, no, but, you, I mean, you feel God calling you to leadership? He says, yeah, I want to do leadership. I said, okay, let's, let's start. Let's get some buckets. Let's, let's come to spruce up day. Let's start wiping down tables. I'm like, but I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, how can you wipe hearts if you can't wipe tables? So you got to be open with me. You want a position? Or do you want to be a servant? Because if you want to be first with God, you're going to be last. But he, he calls those who are okay with being last. And not that it's like, okay, I'll go last. I'll go be last. Oh, you like me sweep? I'll go sweep. You guys watching me sweep? I stay sweeping. I'm sweeping. Look, I'm mopping too. I'm a, see what 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 God is always looking at is the heart he's always looking at the heart and it's not just the pastoral position I'm just using that as an example it's it's in everything that we do for God it could be at work it could be at home it could be when you're when you're driving wherever you are you're doing everything for God because he wants to refine our hearts I remember when Heidi and I were in high school we had this big argument and it was at that point that I, I you know I didn't know Heidi as well as I do now, of course, but we got into this big argument, and I'm going to close with this, so you can close your Bibles, put her in your notes. I'm going to ask Glenn to come to the keyboard, and then I have one more scripture. But Heidi and I got into this big argument, and so because we were in high school, I was at her house, and I had a bike. So I got mad, and I rode off on my bike. I was mad. I was riding away from my bike, my bicycle. So I'm riding away, and so I'm so mad, so upset and so I drag my hand against a stone wall because I tough. So I'm dragging my hand against the wall and I start punching the wall. And I drag my hand against the fence line and then it starts bleeding until the point where it looks good enough for sympathy. So that's what I was trying to do, get it good enough for sympathy, but not enough where it hurts me, you know. Not too, not too damaging, just enough to get her attention. So I, I come back to her house and she's outside and she goes, where'd you go? I said on the road He says why'd you go down the road oh, I don't know So I'm, I'm trying to hide my hand but hide it so she knows I'm trying to hide it so I'm putting my hand on the side she goes what are you doing I said nothing she goes what's the matter with your hand so now it's like alright she got the attention of my hand okay we're on we're, we're, she's falling for the bait so I said okay yeah what nothing she goes, what's the matter with your hand nothing so let me see your hand this is, I'm, I think I'm 14 years old. <laughs> no, let me see your hand. <gasps> she grabs me and she goes, What did you do to your hand? I was punching walls. <laughs> it's so funny to me now. It's like, What an idiot. She goes, Why were you punching walls? Because I was mad. He's telling me stuff about me. And, and you know, I love you but why are you punching the wall? I said, cause? And I'm like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, it's working. She's sympathizing with me. She grabs my hand and I'm thinking she's gonna go, uh-huh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Oh, you right. I was wrong. Oh, I love you. Oh, let me see your hand. Oh, I'll go clean them up for you like in the movies, and I'll go kiss them, and then we we'll go make, make romantic music in the background, and I bandage them up for you, and we fall in love more deeply. So I'm thinking, that, that's, that's a scenario. And I saw them in movies. It works. So she looks at me, and she goes, you're so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what? It's like the music just, I said, what, what? And I said, what? She goes, you're so d- Why you punch walls? You think I can sympathize with you? And she walks away. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Heidi. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's, and that was the day I realized that my wife is not a coddler. She's not a, oh, putting you, oh, oh, you're so, you're so sorry. I'll go make, make good. I'll make you soup. i take care of you. That wasn't her. She was the type that says, you like punch walls? Go punch walls. Go hurt yourself. I, I don't care. You wanna hurt yourself? That's on you. Now she was 15 at that time, I was 14, but this is what I've seen throughout the years. She's still the same in, in, in that kind of way. But at the same time, what we've learned together is that God is the one who takes the pain for us for the possibilities ahead. Like we don't we don't have to we don't have to play emotions with God. And we we don't have to inflict pain on ourselves in order to get attention so that we can reach our full potential because we waste time doing that, inflicting pain on ourselves. What I'm not saying is to suppress your emotions. What I am saying is process it with God because He's the beginning and He's the end. Because becoming who God is making you to be, doing everything for God and doing everything with God, means that you're going to have to rethink why you used to do what you did before. You're going to have to rethink everything about yourself. You're going to have to reinvent yourself. You're going to have to reassess who you are and reevaluate who you are in order to reach the possibilities. I don't know at what point that we had to reevaluate, and I had to reevaluate, stop punching walls, because you're not going to get attention. I don't know at what point, but I do know this. With God, every day is a brand new day to reassess, to rethink, to rethink, do things for him, with him, and get into his word. Philippians 4.13, most of us know this scripture. It says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because you must first do the impossible before the possible happens. And the only way is through Christ. And he makes what is impossible, possible. So wherever you are in life, whatever it looks like, whether you're a beginning thinker or an end thinker, God is the beginning. He is the end. He's the alpha, the omega. And he's the one that turns our impossibilities to possibilities because he sees that much potential in you and I. And I pray that we can reach that potential together. Amen. You close your Bibles or or you can bow your heads with me and we're going to close our eyes and, and pray for a moment. Even if you have to speak with God in your heart right now just to reassess and reevaluate and, and rethink where you are in life, do that. Just take some time. Lord, we have the, the honor and privilege and direct access to you. It's called prayer. So we want to be people who do, who do things with you, that we do everything with you. That's what Emmanuel means. It's God with us. So we want you to be with us. We want to be the kinds of people that we do things for you. And then everything about us is is to stay connected to you. To always remember that the the possibilities that that are ahead, you're a part of that. And we want to be a part of what you're doing. We want to stay connected to you. Help us to get into your word. And help us to always pray to you because we have access. But we've got to change, Lord. We've got to be thinkers. We have to rethink and reevaluate and do things differently than we did before. So renew us tonight, Lord. Release our potential so that we can become more and more the person you're making us to be. We trust in that. We believe in that because you are the very best at what you do. You're the beginning and you're the end. And we get to be a part of what you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' precious name that we all said together, amen. Isn't God good? He's the only one. He's the only one who is good. So keep that in mind. Just keep that in your hearts that God is able to do what is impossible from our eyes. And we're going to close with that.